Oh, Lordy. I thought my mic was on. I was about to have a heart attack. <laughs> oh, thank you, buddy. Well, I'm going to come on down here in, uh, where's my notebook? You got my notebook over with you? Got to have a notebook. All right, we're in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, to where we are tonight. <clears throat> Let me find my spot here. Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> I was thinking this week, it, it's kind of changed a little bit, but you remember all the shows that were, that were out recently? Shows like Fear Factor, Survivor, The Amazing Race, Big Brother, all these reality shows. And the premise behind them is, what will people do for a large sum of money? Right? I remember several years ago watching the show Fear Factor, and there's these guys, and they are like laying in a bathtub, and they're pouring snakes on top of them. And like, if you win, you get like $50,000. $50,000 is not worth it to me. I just hate snakes. I'm not going to do it, you know. I'll be poor. I don't care. We can do that. But you watch these people, and, and it's like everybody will do the extreme. They will go so far just for a little bit of money. We'll do anything just for some money. It, it made me think, is everybody a sellout? And we live in a culture, and it, it just seems like everybody is a sellout, and it's nothing new. When we get to the, the Bible, we see there are sellouts. Judas was a sellout, wasn't he? He sold Jesus Christ out for a few pieces of silver. Uh, we see Esau was a sellout. What did he sell out for? A pot of beans, right? A pot of beans. Sold out for a pot of beans. I mean, that's just, that's ridiculous. That is just crazy. It, it makes me ask the question, what would it take in my life to be a sellout. In your life, what would it take to be a sellout? Many times we come and we talk a big talk spiritually, and I'm with you on that. I can talk with the best of them. I can talk about how much I love the Lord. I can talk about how committed I am. I can talk a big, strong talk spiritually, and maybe you can too, but the problem is I look at my life and I ask myself, would I be a sellout and I already know the answer to it. There are so many ways that I sell out on a regular basis. I sell the Lord out for a silly television show that I know does not honor him. But so many times I have sold him out. I sell out because I want people to like me and I want to fit in. And so there have been many times that I have been a sellout. I want to fit in with the world. I, I, I want to be materialistic and I want to live for the riches of the world. And so I sell out. I'd be a sellout, become a sellout for my personal ambitions. And so I realized that in my life, I am a sellout way too often because I'm chasing the junk of the world. Anybody else feel that way? You just look and you say, man, I, I don't know why I sell out so easily. I sell out so quickly. It has been said that there have been more Christian martyrs in recent years than during all the time of the Caesars. There was a study done by Regent University, and in 1999, they found that 164,000 Christians were martyred for their faith in one year. 
It went on the next year in 2000, and they said the number was closer to 165,000 Christians. That's a big number. That's huge. So many, so many people. It's been estimated that since the year AD 70, there have been over 70 million Christians put to death, and they were put to death because they would not renounce their faith. They would not renounce what they believe in. And so I, I, I read that, I think about that, I ponder that, and I ask the question, what gave these men and these women the courage to stand firm even in the face of death? What, what made these, these godly men and these godly women stand strong even when they were in the midst of death? And the next obvious question is, do I have what it takes to do the same? Do you have what it takes to do the same? Uh, we, we see the church of Smyrna tonight. Last week we looked at the church of Ephesus. You remember the church of Ephesus was a hard-working church. They were a church that they were diligently working. They would not stand sin in their midst, but they had a problem. And the problem was that they had forsaken their first love. And so now we get to the next church on the journey. It's about 35, 40 miles from Ephesus, up north a little bit. And so we find the church of Smyrna. <clears throat> Smyrna was an interesting day. It was a beautiful city in this time, and it's still a beautiful town today. It is now the town of Izmir. It is a, a beautiful place, has a huge population. Lots of people are there. People travel to go to this place. Remember, Ephesus was destroyed. There's nothing left of it. But what we're looking at today is a place that still exists today, modern-day Turkey area, and still in existence to this day. In Smyrna, there was a famous golden street that went through the city. On one side of the, of the city, of the street, was a temple to Zeus, and on the other side was a temple to the goddess of the day. And so what we see in this town is there is there is this this idol worship all around. You go this side in the city, you find one god, you go to this side in the city and you find another god. But if that wasn't enough, it was also a hub for the worship of Caesar. These people were patriotic. They loved Rome. They supported Rome. And so they had the first temple to the leader of Rome. And so people would come and they would worship because they saw it as their patriotic duty. Now here's what's interesting about this church. There is not one negative word written about the church in Smyrna. Now, if you remember last week, we spent most of our time talking about the negative in Ephesus. So maybe you'll get out a little bit earlier tonight. We'll see how that works. But just think about that for a moment. There's not one negative word written about the church. I wish that could be said about our church, don't you? I mean, I wish it was true that if the Lord was, was writing a letter to the believers at Woodland Hills Baptist Church, he could write, and there would not be one negative word written. It doesn't mean that people were perfect, but, but it means that they were seeking the Lord. They were following his ways. They were devoted. They were dedicated. They were surrendered. What made the church so pure? You may ask, you may say, well, how was the church so pure? How was it so clean? How was it so righteous? Because if we're looking at this, the obvious question is, I want that to be true of our church. Don't you? I want that to be true. So how did this church get so pure 
But now be careful. Don't wish too much. You want to know how this church got pure? This church was pure because they were persecuted and they suffered and they were purged. They were clean. That they had this persecution come in. And we see persecution as a negative, but the Lord can use persecution and he can bring cleansing to the body of believers. He can come through, through the midst of persecution and bring a cleansing power. You know what persecution does? Persecution drives out the lukewarm. If you're lukewarm and you begin to see persecution, you're not lukewarm any, anymore. You just get cold, don't you? You decide it's not worth it. When there's persecution, it drives out the lost. They say, I'm not playing the game anymore. It's not worth it. And so when we see the church of Smyrna here, we see that all the phonies have left. All the lukewarm have left. All the fakes have left. What's left is the remnant. What's left are the ones who are dedicated. What's left are the ones who are surrendered. What's left are the ones who say, I will pay the price no matter what it costs because I'm surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a game anymore. It's not just a show. It's not just a checklist. It's not just coming in and finding my spot to sit down and have a service and going home and living any way I want to live. These people were surrendered. They were dedicated, and they were sold out. And so when the Lord wrote this letter, he's writing to a pure church. Makes me think of this. In our world, in our society, we often get confused on quality versus quantity. We focus so much on numbers. We look at a church and we say, church has got to have so many people. How's your church doing? How many people do you have? A church ought to be growing. We ought to be growing. But we ought to be growing in depth too. It shouldn't just be that we're growing in numbers and nobody knows what they're doing. It ought to be that we're growing and we're growing spiritually and we're becoming more and more and more like Christ. Uh, it, it makes me think of James chapter 1, this church. <clears throat> You know the verse, James 1, 2 through 4. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know what the church was? They were steadfast. They were perfect. They were complete. They didn't lack anything. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, persecution can be a good thing. Persecution can develop you, and that's what we see in this church. Let's read it together. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and they are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days and you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. First thing I want you to see is this. 
He knows. Simple. He knows. He says, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. I know your tribulation. Your translation might say, I know your sufferings. I know your afflictions. I know your troubles. We think of persecution and in our culture, we might say, well, maybe you lose your job. We might say, well, maybe you lose some friends. Maybe you're ridiculed for what you believe. Much more severe in this day. The persecution that they were going under. The word used here for tribulation is the Greek word thalipsis. What it actually means is it means that there is a, a crushing power. It means that there's this, this heavy pressure being pushed on you. They would use this word to talk about the olive press or the wine press where they would put the grapes in and they would crush them out. And so the picture is that the believers are, are slowly standing under this weight and they're trying to stand up, they're trying to stand firm, but there's so much weight on top of them. It's more than a, a setback. It's more than a setback. It's more than a little bit of ridicule. It means that these people are facing a brutal opposition, physical torture, and painful death. Smyrna was loyal to the Roman Empire. And so the first Roman temple was built, and they expected everyone to come every year and bow down and say, Caesar is Lord. And once you bow down and you said, Caesar is Lord, you would get a certificate. And you would take that certificate, and it showed that you did your patriotic duty for that year. Christians wouldn't do that. They wouldn't go bow down. They wouldn't say, Caesar is Lord. And so it led to much persecution, even to the point of death. They were seen as troublemakers, they were seen as stubborn, and they were seen as unpatriotic. But then you'll notice in the verse, it says, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. It wasn't just a physical tribulation. It also says that they were poor. Now, the word here, that there's two words in the Greek for poor. One is that you're just trying to get by. You're just struggling. You ever just struggled? I mean, you're going through life, and it's a struggle. You're getting by, but it's almost like paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth, just barely scraping by. That's not the word that's used here. The word that is used here is that they are in the worst possible state of poverty imaginable. They didn't have anything. It was said in this day that if they would not bow down to Caesar, if they would not say that Caesar is Lord, you're not to buy from them, and you're not to sell to them. And so they could not participate in the economy. They couldn't live life. They couldn't be productive. They couldn't have normal jobs. They couldn't make very much money. And so they're striving to get enough just day by day by day by day just to buy food, just to get by, and it is crushing them. And so they've got the, the physical persecution to where at any moment they could lose their life. And then they've got this poverty in their, in their midst, in their home to where they they're hungry. There's mamas and there's daddies and they're, they're trying to get food for their kids. I don't know about you, but if I think about that, it starts to get to me. Now, there's a lot of things I think I could do to sacrifice for myself. But my wife and kids, I, I don't know how I could do that. And so there's this picture of just attacks coming from every which way. He says, I know your tribulation in your poverty, but notice what he says in parentheses. Do you see it in your Bible? He says, I know your poverty, and then in parentheses he says, but you are rich. 
Well, that's one of my favorite parts. I love that. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you can be poor, but you're really rich. You can be poor and you can have nothing and you can be hungry and you cannot have a home and you cannot have a car and you can just be as broke as broke can be, but at the very same time, you can be extremely rich. He says, I, I, I know your tribulation. I know your persecution. I know that you're in poverty. I know that you're poor. But just a side note here, remember that you are really rich. There's times in life we need to get that focus right. You might be going through some tough stuff. You might be looking at the bank account and say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this month, this week, this year. And the Lord reminds us, you're rich. You're rich spiritually, and that's what matters. It's also the flip side to it, though. You can be extremely rich. You can have everything the world has to offer. You can have all the goods and all the materialistic stuff, and at the very same time, you can be poor. So he's looking at these folks, and he says, listen, I, I know you're, you're facing persecution. I know that you're facing poverty, but remember that you are rich. And so you've got a, a group here in Smyrna that they're, they're, rich, they're poor, but they're really rich. What do you find in Laodicea? You remember that church? We'll get to it eventually one day. You remember what it says of the church of Laodicea? This is in chapter 3, verse 17. It says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. And so in our context today, you've got a church that's poor, but they're really rich. And in Laodicea, you have a church that is rich, but they're really poor. It's out of balance. They don't realize it. It says your, your focus is out of whack here. And then you see the blasphemy. He says, in the slander of those who say they are Jews and they are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. It wasn't enough to have the physical and the financial blows against them. He says that there's this blasphemy that's coming up against them, and it's from the Jewish people. It's from who are supposed to be God's people. And they're coming up and they're speaking blasphemy. They are being agents of Satan. They are working for the accuser, and they're coming to the Christians, and they are trying to make life impossible for them. They're coming to the Christians, and they're making up all these false lies to try to destroy them. Let me give you a few examples of it. The Jews would go around, and, and they, would, they would talk about the Lord's Supper. They'd say, hey, you know those Christians? You know what they do? They go, and they gather around, and they eat flesh and they drink blood you know what those folks are they're cannibals you can't trust them those are some wicked people they get in their little groups and they are just a bunch of cannibals and people started to believe that they went around town and they said you know they're always talking about love and so they get together and they have these love fests and it's probably a bunch of incest going on and it's probably these wicked acts so you probably need to stay away from the christians he said, these Christians, when they come to know Christ, what do they do? They go home, and it begins to tear families apart. And so when you come to Christ, it destroys families. Because the Christians would come, and once they met Christ, they couldn't go home to the same pagan worship that they were used to. And so it began to destroy families. And so the people would look from the outside, and they would say, man, if you follow Christ, it's going to destroy your family. 
They say, these guys, they just worship one God. And so they're unpatriotic. They will not bow down and worship Caesar. And so if we let these guys stand, if we let the Christians be, it's not going to do good for our little town because we are a Roman town. And so what we've got to do is we've got to stop and we've got to put an end to these. They won't bow down and say that Caesar is Lord. They say Jesus is Lord. And so they are not loyal politically. And so there's all these rumors that are going around, and it's coming from the Jews. And they're wanting to squash and put an end to the Christians. Now, that, that shouldn't surprise us, should it? Who were the ones that crucified Jesus? It was the Jews, right? It was the religious leaders. And so we see that as just continuing down the line. And so they've got financial hardship. They've got persecution, and they've got these lies that are being spread all about them. One of the, the examples of persecution that we see is by a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp, he died in the year 156. He was actually a disciple of John, and he was a leader of the church in Smyrna. He lived a long life to the age of 86. And when he was 86, they brought Polycarp into a huge amphitheater. And there were people all up just watching. They wanted to see how this man was going to die. And so they brought Polycarp up and they put him in the middle of this stadium. And they asked him repeatedly to renounce Christ. Will you renounce Christ? Will you renounce Christ? Will you bow down and worship Caesar? You must renounce Christ. And this is what he said. He said, for 86 years I have been his servant and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The governor reacted and said, I'll have you destroyed by fire unless you change your attitude. And Polycarp answered, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour, and after a little is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fires of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring on what you will. An 86-year-old man, and they went and they took his body and they made a pile and they lit it on fire and they took him and they tied him up in the midst of it and they cheered and they hollered as they saw his skin begin to burn. And the last thing he said was this. He said, I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour that I may be a part of the number of martyrs to die for Christ. And then he died. That's powerful, isn't it? This, this is the place we're talking about. This is in Smyrna. This is where it happened. We're talking persecution to the max. We're talking it's hard to live life, and it's hard for me to imagine that because we live in a world to where you can have everything you want, and you can have a little bit of Christianity also. You can have Christ, and it doesn't cost us anything. But there are people all over the world today, and that to be a follower of Christ means that their whole world is going to change, and they still follow. And they still follow wholeheartedly. Number two, he says, why? He says, he says I know even when we go through difficult times, he has not forgotten us. There's got to be times in life that we look around and we say, how has this happened? Have you ever been there? 
You ever had something happen in life and it was tough and it was difficult and you said, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how this is okay, but I don't understand it, right? I imagine that's what this church is saying. Lord, we are trying to honor you. We're trying to do what's right and you're not making it very easy for us. Lord, we could use a little bit of something here because this is getting really tough. It's getting really difficult. Why are bad things happening to us over and over and over again? You know what these folks would have a problem with? They would have a problem with the prosperity gospel. They would have a problem with a man getting up and saying, boy, if you love Jesus, your life's going to be easy. If you love Jesus, you're going to have lots of money. You're going to be healthy. You're going to have a new house, a new car, and you're going to have just whatever you want in life. That would make them sick. Here they are, and they're worshiping God, and they're serving God, and they're doing their best, and their life is difficult. Their life is tough. He says, he knows. Now, you remember how the letter began? It began, and it said, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. You know what? I think the letter begins that way. It's a reminder. Hey, guys, I know it's tough, but I've been through it. I, I died and I came back to life. I know what you're going through. I know your struggles. I know your pain. I know the adversity. I know it's really, really hard. But trust me, I've been through it and I have defeated it. And if you stay faithful, you will go through it and you will come out victorious on the other side also. He says, I've been there and I've done that. Just keep on going, keep on pushing. But the Lord has not forgotten what they're going through. Sometimes we go through something tough in life and we scratch our head and we say, God, where are you at? God's right there with us. There's times we don't get it. There's times we don't understand it. I had a guy come over last night and uh, just, just broken. He just found out uh, his father was diagnosed with cancer. And so he came and he was telling me about it and you could see the tears coming on his face. And he's just broken and his father is broken and they're just trying to push through it. And he's telling me, and if you've been in this situation, you want to have something to say, right? And you're searching in your heart, what do you say? How do you say something that will make them feel better in a time like this? And all I know is this, God is faithful. In the good times, God is faithful. And in the difficult times, God is faithful. And then we see the focus. We're closing up here. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I believe the key to suffering is found in this passage. The key to suffering is to be focused on the life that is to come. He says, you'll receive the crown of life. Of life. Smyrna was known for its athletic games. And when they would go and they would run the race at the end of it, they would receive a crown or a wreath. And so they understood this. They understood that as they're going through the race, it's going to get tough. It's going to get difficult. But at the end of the race, it's going to be worth it because the prize is so good. And so he says, listen, guys, listen, ladies, as you're going through, it's going to get tough. I know it's going to be hard. There, there's struggles coming. There's persecution coming. But if you stay faithful at the end of it, I assure you it's going to be worth it. Matthew 10, 28. 
And he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. How, how could they do it? How could they be so strong? How could they stand boldly in the face of opposition? You know how they could do it? Because they had a strong faith. They had a strong faith. Verse 11, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. He who has an ear, let him hear. Listen, this is important. The one who can stay faithful, the one who can stay committed, the one who can go through the race and can be focused on the prize at the end of it. He will not be hurt by the second death. And here's the point. We've got many people and they are so concerned about the first death and they don't care at all about the second death. And when we get to the place that we're more concerned about the second death than we are the first death, we're going to go through life and we're going to go through it victoriously. When we realize that the first death is not that big of a deal because then we get to spend eternity with our king in heaven. But he says if you miss it, you're going to experience the second death. And if you experience the second death, that's where the tragedy comes. And so he says push on. Keep going. Don't give up. Be faithful. Now it's difficult, I, I know. It's, it's, it's hard for us because... When we look at the church last week, we can understand that there's many of us who have forsaken our first love. Look at the church this week, and it's hard for us because we do not undergo this type of persecution. I thank God for that. I don't look for persecution. One day I imagine it will come, but I don't look for it. I don't want to see it happen. And so we look at this and we say, how do I apply this to my life? I tell you, to me, as I've studied it this week, I'm just challenged. These believers were so strong. They were so dedicated. Even when it's tough, why can we not be stronger when it's easy? Well, we've got, we've got an 86-year-old man who is not renouncing Christ, and it leads to his being burned to death. So committed. And there's times as believers that we don't even open our Bibles. It's really a shame, isn't it? You see such dedication, and then I look at my life, and I see so much that is lacking. And so the challenge I got, and maybe, maybe you can take away from you, with you, is that there's no reason for us to be so half-hearted with it. Christ is worth everything that we have. He's worth us going all in for And there have been people throughout history, even to this present day, who are giving their life to follow Christ. I don't have an excuse. You don't have an excuse. It's time to get busy with the Lord's work. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for these who have come out, God, and they've come on a, a Wednesday evening. I, I pray, God, that uh, you've spoken to us. Lord, I pray that through this church, God, we will first of all realize that there is, there is much persecution that has taken place throughout history, God, and even today. God, we are to stand beside our, our brothers facing this opposition. So, Lord, let us to do that. Let us to get interested. Let us to get engaged. Let us to find ways to support the family of God. And, Lord, I pray that we will, will not be a people who make excuses, God. I pray that we will we'll love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And we will be willing to make sacrifices for you. 
So God, thank you so much for this time, for all you do for us. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh,